When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. Hello, welcome to Football Social Daily, or not quite so daily at the moment. Whilst football takes a bit of a rest, so do we. But there are still three podcasts every week to keep you in touch with everything that's going on in the Premier League. And that's your lot. Three and you're done. Today on the podcast, we're going to be taking the painful job of looking back over Saturday night's Nations League match between England and Hungary. Broadcast on Channel 4 for the very first time which gives them a worse percentage win rate than Steve Bruce at Newcastle. Nil for nil. It's Germany next for the three Lions, but can they do any better against the old rivals? We're also going to get stuck into the rumour mill with some big names coming and going in the Premier League. They're being talked about on the football grapevine at the moment, including the future of Sadio Mane at Liverpool and some more potential exits at Old Trafford too. In the Sports Social Studio with me to talk about all of that, Marley Anderson and Nama Korn, who have put away their Union Jacks after feverishly waving them over the long weekend here in the UK. Ready to focus on football again, boys? Yeah, I feel like a 70-year-old woman. I'm sure we can find you one if that's what you want. Oh, well, what's the Queen now? 96? Yeah. Something like that. Maybe I feel that old instead. I tell you what, if we were doing Get in the Sea today, which we're not because there's not been any football to talk about, I'd put the phrase platy jubbly into the sea. People describing the platinum jubilee as platy jubes or platy jubbly. Get in the sea. Enough of that. Thankfully, we can talk (laughs) about football rather than. I've launched a new podcast called Platy Jubes Daily. You do it. You go and you, you see how that goes. It's very, very topical, but not very relevant within the next week or so. We are going to focus back on football. And there was an England game to stick in the sandwich of the Platinum Jubilee. It was Hungary versus England. It finished 1-0 to Hungary. England's next game against Germany in the Nations League is tomorrow night. That's Tuesday night. But let's focus on the Saturday game before we get on to that. It was a really poor game Niall and a pretty Mm. poor result as well but should we be worried about it because the vibe I got from most England fans on social media was 
it doesn't really matter. No one really cared. There's more important things to think about in the pipeline. Yeah, I'm not so bothered as an England supporter. I would be if on Tuesday or tomorrow, I think it's tomorrow, against Germany, England put in a similar performance Mm. because games against the Germans, no matter how competitive they are, whether it's the Euros, as we saw in the summer uh, last year with Raheem Sterling scoring and Wembley going absolutely bonkers when England knocked Germany out of the Euros, that was one of the best days I can remember watching uh, international football as an England fan. Um, I celebrated that goal harder than I did the goals against Denmark <laughs> in the semi-finals. So, um, a special, you know, special game. Yeah, it was, was a special game, a special moment. So if England play akin to the way they did against Hungary, against Germany in their next game uh, tomorrow, then I will be concerned. But as for the weekend um, against Hungary and that 1-0 defeat, I'm not too fussed, um, really. I've never really been that bothered about international football. I've said it a million times on this podcast. I am massively club over country. Mm. I'd rather Portsmouth get promoted to the championship than England win the World Cup. And some people think you're mad. Um, but that's just how I feel. And that's just the way it goes. International football doesn't ever grip me mm. unless it's a World Cup or a tournament of some sort. The Nations League is a tournament, but you only need to look at that game against Hungary and understand why international football doesn't really tickle the fancy of a lot of people. Because it was boring. Mm. It was drab. It was... I basically... I had it on. I was watching bits of it... Um, and it ended up just being on in the background whilst I was on my phone and doing other stuff and kind of hanging around over the weekend. Um, for me, I feel sorry for the England supporters who had a decent weekend ruined in Budapest by a 90-minute period watching 22 men kick a bag of wind around because that's how it felt to me. Um, rubbish game, not really too much to report. I think in terms of being worried, Southgate, it was a bit of a mismatch. Uh, mix and match team mm. you know Bowen was making his debut Connor Cody probably won't start in his first choice 11 but he started um who else was on that? there was a couple of other players Jude Bellingham was playing in the middle of the park oh. yeah I was keen to watch him there's a few other players as well here I think and this isn't this isn't the first choice James Justin another yeah. one who I think might have got injured actually um yeah went off for Saka yeah his knee which is never a good sign particularly if you're a Leicester fan because he spent 11 months out with a knee injury. But, you know, it was, it was his England debut. So, I mean, you're talking about Southgate giving opportunities to two new players, players that you wouldn't normally see in the starting 11 of a first-choice England team. And they ended up losing 1-0. Uh, it was a rubbish game. And to be honest, um, I'm not really sure that you can read too much into it. It was, it was, it was drab. They don't really deserve anything else other than a 1-0. It's probably a deserved win for Hungary. England were toothless up front, sloppy in the middle of the park week at the back there wasn't much to write home about but those debutants that Niall mentioned there Marley James Justin for Leicester Jared Bowen from West Ham both making their England debuts how did you rate their performances was there anything you could see in their displays that makes you think they could potentially be featuring for England at the World Cup in the winter um not massively I didn't think like, I don't think Justin gets in in the squad to be honest. Um, no matter what he what he really does, I, I think we've got that many options at, at wing back. Um, and especially, he always winds up that he's not left footed, and he, he sort of gets in because he has a go with his left foot. But when you're a left wing back, like it's all about crossing first time from that wing, and I I just don't think he was don't think he does enough anyway. Um, so never mind. Obviously now that he's got the injury and stuff, but. It's hard to judge because the whole game just felt like a an end of season game where you can't really be bothered, and mm. I, I always question the logic of starting a tournament like this. This is this year's Nations League, 
and you're starting it at the end of a 50-game season where everyone's been through the mire and, you know, it's pretty much just dying to go on holiday. Like, Jack Grealish comes back from a, a four-day bender to <laughs> to come and play. You know, he probably met, the, he probably cruised all the way through Europe, all the way, and, and ended up in Hungary and just said, right, I'll meet you lads at the match. <laughs> I'll, I'll meet you outside. Budapest um, is a great place to go on the drink. It is, yeah. It's awesome. a great city. Yeah. yeah, get down the old town there and uh, have a few scoops and then... Kick, have a kick about, but it just didn't. Uh, just didn't do anything for anyone, did it? I don't think it, nobody looked good in it. I think Hungary will take obviously massive pride in winning, and then you know won't be. You know they've got a long way to go if they're going to beat Germany and uh, and and who else is it in our group? Is it Holland or something? Italy? Italy. Oh, there you go. They've got a long way to go to beat them as well. And yeah, it's just uh, hard to judge it really. But Bowen. Bowen tried, didn't he? But didn't really do too much, and I still think he'll uh, he'll be on the plane to Qatar, but not in the in the starting eleven. Because when you look at the the options uh, Southgate's got, and Sterling's never let him down for England. He loves Saka to bits. Mm. Um, there's there's other players coming back into it. Kane obviously picks himself. Um, I thought Bowen was one yeah. of the brightest players, though. I mean. I guess it kind of figures that a player who's desperate to make an impact on a game and make his mark on a match is going to be kind of the brightest, buzzy one in that squad. I don't know if it's my West Ham favouritism shining through, but I thought he probably was England's biggest threat. Not that that really says much. Yeah, and you can tell, like, you know, everybody can't be bothered after a 50-game season, but he's got something to prove because he's the first one. Um, it's You know, it's his first cap, um, first time he's been involved, and probably the same with Justin, but we didn't get much... Chance to look at him before he went off injured. So, if you look at it like that, you know that's that's their carrot on the end of the stick type of thing. Whereas for for Kane, for you know the the the, the everyone else in the squad, basically everyone else in that starting eleven, it was just just another game at the end of the season where they'd rather be on the beach. Unfortunately, again from a hungry match, we find the biggest talking point is the. I guess racism is the right term. I mean, the match was supposed to take place behind closed doors in the first instance because of previous incidents of racism and instead was played in front of a large crowd of school children. I don't quite know how that is allowed with UEFA, why they can have a crowd of school children, not adults, but that was the decision that was made. Now, also during that match, the now standard pre-match symbolism of England taking the knee was jeered by the crowd of school children that were present. What needs to happen now? Are Hungary and other nations who are repeatedly involved in racist behaviour, are they being left with no other option? Do UEFA need to start banning these teams and stopping them taking part in these competitions now? This is so hard for me to kind of talk about I mean as a white person who's lived my entire life with white privilege it's very difficult to kind of talk about this with any authority um, what I will say is I think that people who say that taking the knee gesture has run its course you only need to look at, at what happened in that game to understand that that isn't the case mm. you know there's certainly grounds for people to still take the knee now, there are people that will believe that that is solely a political gesture and not one for equality. The England team have made that clear that it's not a political gesture. It's one of solidarity in order to stand against racism and show that racism isn't tolerable. However, we don't know how that message is perceived in Hungary. Now, they might have a, a, a stance, a belief in which 
they want to take that it is a political gesture and therefore that's why they're booing. We don't truly know why they're booing. But from our narrative and our perspective here in, in the UK and particularly in England, we know because we've watched our national team and our national team players do it for the last however many years, two years or whatever it is now. Um, we know what that gesture means to yeah. us as English people. However, that gesture might mean something different to Hungarians in terms of the narrative that they have. So I think we need to be very careful about calling people um, something when we don't know that for certain. What I will say is that the behaviour is certainly unsavoury. And people that say that the England team should stop taking the knee because you only get situations like this and they're uncomfortable, I would say that's a reason for England players to continue to do it. Mm. We need to be made to feel uncomfortable, I think. Because then I think that shows that if you're continuing to feel uncomfortable about it, then there continues to be a powerful message behind it. So for me, it, it was not nice to see. It was unsavoury, but I think it proves exactly why every single one of those England players should have taken the knee. Because there are countries, inevitably, around the world who don't agree with the mantra Black Lives Matter. And that is that is wrong. That is entirely wrong. Whether UEFA should be banning teams... Um, is, is a different does, thing. What it does prove is what UEFA are currently doing in that space, which is arbitrary fines, matches behind closed doors that don't end up being played play behind closed doors. It, I think it kind of shows that it's whatever they're doing isn't working. Mm. And I know it's not a footballing issue. It's a political issue. It's a global issue. Yeah. But at the same time, football needs to reflect that and football is in a position to action change. I do agree. I totally agree with you. But I mean, I think it's it's... Taking the knee and booing that is a very different thing to someone monkey chanting or shouting a racist word, yeah. in my opinion. I don't know whether you you agree with that or yeah. whatever. It's um, almost like it's gone on too long now. Like, so you can, there's almost like a ready-made excuse for, we're bored of this now. Like, if if it happens in like a Premier League game, you could be like, well, people are bored of this on the knee gesture which has been going on for two years and everyone's just scared to be this, to stop doing it because if you stop doing something that's anti-racist does that make you racist? Do you know what I mean? But while there's still like as Noel says while there still is a reaction to that while there is jeering and I don't believe that was the gesture was jeered at during the game because it, people are bored of it they're jeered because they don't agree with the ethics behind yeah. it. Yeah, but, but, but that's what I was saying before. The ethics to it, to us in England, because we've been made aware what Southgate and the players mean when they take the knee, yeah. and they've drawn that line in the sand, and they've said this is not a political gesture. This is a anti-racism stance. However, in Hungary, we don't know what their political landscape looks like. I have no idea about the culture of Hungary and, and whether Hungary is, in inverted commas, a racially aggravated country. Mm. Um, and therefore, you know, that, that gesture might be perceived as political to them and that's why they're booing it. It doesn't mean that that's OK, but it's it's hard to know when you go cross country and political divides um, really what what to say. I'm proud that the England players took the knee and I'm proud that in general, the England fans that were there were supportive of that gesture. And, and that that's all I can be proud of. Mm. I can't say, oh, I can't sit here in my ivory tower in in a you know as an Englishman in a country which very much still has problems with racism and say that Hungary should be banned because I, d- I just don't think that's I don't think that's fair because not because of what they did but because also we've got racial problems in our country yeah, yeah. as well it just seems very hypocritical for me to sit here and go we should ban Bulgaria for the way that they booed ban Hungary for the booing the knee I just think we've got to be so careful because we're not guardian angels ourselves in the UK and in and in England in particular so I think. 
continue to take the knee. That I think that's that's fair enough. I think the England players and the management all believe in that gesture. And like I said before, when you get the reaction that you got from the Hungary fans, it's probably all the more reason to continue doing it, I'd say. Very difficult issue to unpick. And I guess the conversation we've just had illustrates the challenge that UEFA face in dealing with this issue. And hopefully there won't be the same incidents on Tuesday night when it is England versus Germany. Germany looked decent against Italy, albeit a very much changed Italy, who, let's not forget, didn't qualify for the World Cup finals. They won't be in Qatar this winter, but they managed a 1-1 draw there. Safe to assume that it's going to be a tougher test for England versus Germany than it was against Hungary. But what do you want to see from Southgate in this game, Marley, and in the next six months as well? Do you want to see him establishing a plan B or C for the tournament? So playing his core players that he's going to be taking on the plane to the Middle East in the winter and just kind of working out different situations for different game plans? Or do you want to see him to continue to experiment with different squad members, bringing in new faces, maybe rest those people who have played a lot of games over the season so far so they're, they've got this opportunity to regenerate over the, the over the summer period? What do you want to see from Southgate in this game versus Germany? Uh, I don't want to see the back three. I'm sick of it. Um you know he'll play it though. <laughs> he will play it, and especially because it worked against Germany in the uh, in the Euros as well. I, I, but um, I don't. Even my son, who's eight, was like, of it. "Why is that, why, why is Maguire playing? He's I, trash." I, <laughs> I fancy Germany to do us. To, to be fair, quite yeah. easily. I'm not not exactly confident, but I think I'm not really asked about the tournament to be honest. So who cares? Um, it's just I don't know. It's just one of them. Like I'd rather just see. I want to see a better performance. Probably going to watch the game anyway, like even though I'm not really bothered about it. But <laughs> it's just, yeah, I just want to see something like something brave. I'm I'm bored of seeing like bad England, like pragmatic England. Yeah, but it's just a bit boring, isn't it? Like I want to see some some sort of like risk taking and and yeah. stuff. Like at least make it interesting. Like like I said, you know, we're all kind of a bit worn out from football now. Mm. Like now, we've had ten you know ten months of it nearly, and. You know, you've just had the Champions League. You've just had yeah. a thrilling title race, and you've got a group game in a in a tournament. A lot of people don't even want to exist. So. And international football is boring at the best of times, isn't it? So yeah, it's it's never brilliant, but it's it's just one of them. I, I just want to see like some something different. Like uh, I want to see Bellingham playing in his best position. I want to see um, forwards who who might not otherwise play but Kane's going to play of course he is why um, can't we play a 4-3-3 like we've got the forward players to I do think it that's the best the best way to go get Bellingham as a box to box midfielder get Sterling on the wing get uh, you got Bowen on the other wing I mean Sancho's Bowen, not yeah. in the squad this time but I mean if you think about for the Euros Sterling Sancho Kane yeah um, you know there, there were options there as well you know you could have Calvert Lewin was in form at the time last summer. I just think that's a great Southgate debate, and I've seen it actually on a few different media outlets this last couple of weeks with the international window reopening again. And it's is Southgate a super negative manager, and is he getting the best out of the England squad now? Of course, he's got us to a semi-final and a final of two major tournaments, which is something no other manager has done, at least not in my lifetime, or at least since 1966. So you've got to give him the credit, but it's like getting to a semi-final. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer did that about seven times with Manchester United and never mm. won a trophy. Got to a final and never won a trophy. You know, and is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer remembered as this excellent manager who got the most out of Manchester United? I'd argue of, no. I can't think of many swashbuckling international teams that have been successful. I think in general, to be successful in international football, 
you have to be a bit conservative. You have yeah. to be boring. And it's why we saw the likes of I Greece. Isn't it boring Brazil, though? Yeah, even when they got like, I think Brazil by Germany, that wasn't boring, was it? Did you see, like at the weekend um, they played South Korea and just like they're just they're just done like a bit of a let's call it the Brazil World Tour at the minute, just going around the round the world, absolutely smashing teams left, right, and centre. And they've got that many players that everybody comes in and wants to like impress and stuff. And it's they've got that much of sort of embarrassment of riches that that people come in and and play out the skin and uh, they end up like mm. killing whoever they're playing. So. I think they're playing um, Japan in about an hour's time, so we'll probably, they'll probably hammer them as well. Just yeah. different, like the, the culture yeah. is totally different. I don't know if that's something to do with Southgate being a defender or whatever. Mm. And maybe, you know, he's he's obviously studied international football. And uh, do you know what, on the whole, I think you're probably right. And you think about a lot of the teams that win tournaments, they're generally tight at the back and they find a way to score goals in in small numbers they don't ever obliterate teams you know apart from that germany side that won the world cup let's say they, they destroyed brazil 7-0 or whatever yeah. and then they went on and beat argentina in the final i think um you don't really see that but yeah maybe maybe that's just a product of southgate i mean i think we could argue about southgate for ages i think that he is probably slightly more on the defensive negative side than he should be with the players we've got but you know when was the last time we had an exciting attacking forward thinking england manager Sven, you're at no, no, no. I don't <laughs> know. Probably. Was that? Maybe. I, I don't know. All right, let's. Bobby <laughs> no, no, now I'm absolutely Maybe. pumped for the game on Tuesday. Let's move on <laughs> and talk about Wales very quickly because we don't really talk about Wales much in this podcast, but they have qualified for the World Cup finals courtesy of a 1 0 win over Ukraine and a Yarmolenko own goal that gave them that victory. I think most neutrals would have been backing Ukraine for that game for obvious reasons, but. I'm pretty pleased that Wales are in the finals. Mm. I think it's nice to see another home nation get there. Yeah, first time in 64 years. So mm. I think 1958 was the last time that wow. they reached the World Cup, yeah. um, which is just A brilliant. A 17-year-old Pelé got his first, uh, <laughs> wow. got his first <laughs> goal. Bonkers. His first caps and a first goal for, uh, for, uh, for Brazil against Wales. Oh, really? Mm. And then there was another 999 to follow. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, that was the first of his 1,000 goals against dogs and cats in the back garden, <laughs> as yeah. we always say. But, um, you know, you know, this weekend there have been commemorative events to mark the Queen being on the throne for 70 years. If you're of Welsh persuasion, you will remember, if you remember that, you'll likely remember the last time Wales qualified for a World Cup as well. And maybe if you're a, a Welsh man or woman mm. today, you would have thought, will we ever see that again? One of the best players ever to play for Wales, Gareth Bale. If he can't get us to a World Cup, no one can. Aaron Ramsey coming to the end of his career as well. Wayne Hennessy was just exceptional, I think, in that game against Ukraine as well. Brilliant. So, well done to Wales. I mean, what what can you say? You just got you just got to tip your hat to them and say, well done. First World Cup in however many years. Go and enjoy it. And the last time that they were in similar position where I think they had reached the Euros for the first time in however many years. Did they not, not get to the quarterfinals? Yeah. Um, did really, really well. So credit to Wales. Good to see them there. And um, commiserations to Ukraine, as you say, Jim. Obviously what they're going through as a nation at the moment, it, they would have been desperate to give their people something to be joyous about in reaching the World Cup. But it wasn't to be. So um, commiserations to them and well done to Wales. Going to talk about transfers next on Football Social Daily. Stories involving Liverpool, Manchester United, Leeds and Newcastle. Under the microscope next. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. 
This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. We are talking transfers. I'm going to start off with what could be the biggest transfer conversation to happen. Well, actually, no. I mean, Erling Haaland arguably takes that crown. Second biggest transfer conversation to happen over the next month or so. And it is the future of Sadio Mane. The bidding has begun. The Times say that 25 million quid has been slapped on the table from Bayern Munich, which has been rejected by Liverpool. Is the writing on the wall now? Marley is Mane leaving Liverpool inevitably. Yeah, it looks like it, doesn't it? Um, I think if he was going to stay, it came out as soon as like the Champions League final was finished. I always thought it was a bit weird when he was like, he was asked um, what what your future is going to hold just before the Champions League final, and he was like, "Oh, I'll tell you after." Mm. And everyone went, "Oh, well, it'll be a brave guy to say like to win the Champions League or even lose the Champions League and then go." Right, I'm leaving. <laughs> but the, that does look like we look like what's going to happen. Um, obviously, Bayern want him. It, it seems like a fit that, to be fair, like Mane to Bayern. Like it seems like everybody's a winner, really. Um, I think Bayern are having a clear out under under Nagelsmann, getting rid of Lewandowski. I think Sane's going. There's uh, uh, Serge Gnabry's going as well, apparently. So they're having a bit of a clear out, and Mane's, you know, one of the best best to do it in the Premier League. To be fair, over a hundred goals. You know, still got time on his side, like still got years left in the tank, sort of thing. Um, and I'm just wondering which uh, which leg of Bayern want for for 21 plus four million. It is, I think, 21 million down on the table, four million if they win the Champions League, which you'd probably say they're not going to do. Um, it seems like I know he's only got a year left on his contract, but you know, if you were buying Sadio Mane at, at 28, 29 years old, whatever he is. You'd be probably looking to pay ninety million. So if you if you go on on the sort of ratio of of half or maybe a third, it's still way more than twenty million quid. So what do you think Liverpool will accept? Because I mean, like you say, a year no. left on his contract, they want some money. Liverpool love a bit of net spend chat, so they're always <laughs> interested to get some money in. Twenty five million quid works out at around half a million a game. 
probably. So that that if they go right, we're just going to let him run down his contract for the next season. Mm. Let him go on a free. Mm. Like if you take twenty five million quid, divide it by forty games a season or whatever it is, that's about half a million quid. So what does that need to get to for them to go? All right, we'll take the cash. Probably closer to thirty five. You reckon? Yeah. But just, they'll need I to... just think he's worth twenty million. Keeping him, they'll like... need to sort it by January though, because Bayern are an overseas club, so he can start agreeing pre-contracts mm. with them by January. So it's not like they've got a year and can get him on a, on a free. They can sort the free out within the next four or five months. So if he does end up staying at Liverpool... Yeah, but then he still stays at Liverpool to yeah. in the running and this stuff is, like that. Assuming yeah. he's going to leave after this year. Yeah. Like Which what's I, what's the, the amount of money that tips over? Uh, yeah, I'd say above 30, yeah, I would say. What do you think but, this means for Liverpool at the moment then? Because I think they've been ready for Mane's departure for a while because he hasn't been interested in engaging in contract talks, which meant he's probably going to leave. But now there's these conversations that happened over the weekend. You might have seen in the papers rumours that Barcelona have approached Mo Salah and gone, sit tight for a year and we'll have you next summer as well. I mean, it's a bit of a rebuilding job, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's where Klopp's going to earn his coin, though. He's, He's an exceptional manager, but they've already brought in Diogo Jota, who's been brilliant since he's come in, and Luis Diaz. He's been there since January, and I saw him being picked for some people um, as their signing of the season. <laughs> you know, when he's coming, he's been unbelievable. So, I mean, you're talking about players who could be on their way in, in Salah and Mane, but you've got two players there in Jota and Diaz, who I think probably not quite as good as those two, but are good enough to lead a Liverpool line. And then, you know, big Divock Origi's also left the building. He's gone as well. So there's another space yeah. for an attacking player. So Liverpool are going to need to sign some. They've got like Harvey Elliott, but I still think he's a bit too young and fresh to come in. Um, Carvalho coming in as well. Yeah, Minamino. Minamino leaving, I, I, I don't yeah. think Minamino is quite right. So, yeah, it's going to be tough for Jurgen Klopp. I mean, the, the Mane thing's really interesting, though, because uh, I don't know if you saw this, Jim, but he basically said in his pre-match press conference, Senegal had a... Um, Nations Cup, African Cup of Nations qualifier. Um, he scored in it and uh, it made him the all-time Senegal leading goal scorer in the game, actually, overtaking uh, Henri Camara, remember him? Yeah. <laughs> As the leading scorer for Senegal in history. But before the game, he was asked about the future that he has at Liverpool and he said, oh, I've left it to the Senegalese people to decide. And I think he mentioned like in a poll on Twitter 70% of them said that he wanted to, that they wanted him to leave Liverpool. And I was like, that's a very odd thing to be saying in a press conference, that you're leaving it to the people of Senegal in the <laughs> yeah. Twitter poll as to why you're leaving Liverpool Football Club. He was but... just, he was joking though. I know. Like, it, like, it was like people taking it seriously because it's things like this in it, it's lost in translation. Yeah, yeah, Someone yeah. reads it and they go, oh, why has he said that? And then, you know, the <laughs> scousers are after him. And it's like, no, he, he, he's joking. Like, they do have senses of humour in, in Senegal, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not Jose just... Enrique was giving him some stick on Twitter as well. They are Liverpool and... Oh, he's tosser of the week, isn't he? Christ. <laughs> Newcastle. He never shuts up. Defender. But yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, Bayern Munich are, are a good club. They're a big club. Sadio Mane, um, I think, speaks a bit of German anyway. Yeah. Um, it's a tempting move, isn't it? Mm. It's a tempting move. Um and maybe maybe it's the right one for him. Who knows? But yeah, Liverpool are going to have to rebuild. But I think they've got two pretty good building blocks in place in Jota and Diaz. And, you know, if yeah. their scouting department can keep finding players of that ilk, then they should be all right and they should still be competing at the top end. Because to be a top team, you have to do that. You have to do that. You can't just rely yeah, on top it's players. It's proper, like, cutthroat as well and like, let them go when, when you think they're going to tip over the edge. But, mm. if, I mean, if they lose him and they... 
like they lose sort of pace on City, like and it's not very close next season. Like that's a big difference, isn't it? They'll look back. Well, they'll look back at it and say, "Why were we only paying him a hundred grand a week?" Like you don't get tempted away, I don't think, by buying if you're on quarter million a week, like salaries. Yeah, he gets paid less than half of what Salah does. And I think the problem with Mane is he's always felt like he was under, he was overshadowed by Salah. There's always been them things of, like, should Salah have passed to Mane in that situation, like when they're one-on-one, for example, they're both running through and the goalkeeper, or there's a cutback on and Salah shoots. It's always been, like, like lingering and bubbling away, like, does does Mane feel appreciated? And I think with, with a lot of players, when they get to, when they've done what he's done, over 100 Premier League goals, you know, um, I don't think he feels like he gets the appreciation that he he, he feels he deserves, mm. and he's probably got a point there as well. Because hundred, I mean, how many players are in the Premier League that run over a hundred grand a, over a hundred grand a week? Mm. Like no one, like there's no one. There aren't that many players as good as Sadio, Sadio Mane in the Premier League, but there's a hell of a lot that run over hundred grand a week. Some are at the bottom of the league, getting paid two hundred by Everton, stuff like that. It's it's nowhere near so. I don't really blame him for getting annoyed at the situation. Right, let's move on to a story at Leeds United. Now, there's been speculation over the future of Rafinha, whether he's going to stay at Leeds. Barcelona making moves, apparently, this week with their sporting director flying to Yorkshire to open talks. That's according to the Spanish press at the moment. Is he good enough for Barcelona now? Oh, that's, that's a pained a, expression on your face That's a horrible there. question. Nobody knows how good Barcelona are right now, so it's <laughs> yeah, kind of hard to answer, true. yeah? Yeah, yeah. Marley's hit the nail on the head there. Um, Barcelona are in the middle of some sort of restructure, aren't they? A bit of a rebuild happening there, regeneration. They're in the Europa League this season. They didn't get to the final, weren't in the Champions League, really, um, as a competitive side. Lost La Liga to, to Real Madrid. So times are tough. Um, season ticket sales are down at the at the camp now because Leo Messi left the club and a lot of people literally had a season ticket to watch him. Mm. Um, Neymar isn't there anymore. Suarez isn't there anymore. So that era of Barcelona in which there was almost an all-star element to them, that's that's gone. And so, that, you know, there is a, a rebuilding project to be to be done. You're seeing a few names linked with Barcelona lately that aren't, of the level of player that they would normally be in for. And that's no disrespect to Rafinha, but what an opportunity for him. Um, If he does end up going there, it's an incredible place to play football. It's a brilliant cosmopolitan city um, with, you know, an excellent um, sort of uh, support network to it in terms of teams come from, um, fans come from all over Catalonia to, to watch Barcelona. Uh, and it almost feels like, in a way, playing for a country <laughs> mm. rather than a, than a football team or a city in a, in a strange way because um, of, of how things work over there. But I think that he's a, he's a good player for Leeds. Um, if Leeds had gone down, I definitely think he would have left. Now they've stayed up. Will he stay? I, I don't know. Will he stay? Will he, will he stay for another season in the Premier League? Um, I don't know if he gets... Marley might know more than me. I don't know if he gets in the Brazil team or not. I don't know if he's good enough for that. But uh, he's obviously someone with talent and potential and Barcelona are looking for players who they can pay on reduced wages because the reason Barcelona are in such a mess is because they play the they pay the players that they have had too much money. Do you think we're seeing going to see... I mean, this is a bit off topic for us because we're very focused on the Premier League, but do you think in terms of Spanish football we're about to see a period of dominance un, 
challenged dominance from Real Madrid. Barcelona were 13 points behind them, right? I think, in last season's La Liga. And like you say, they're probably not keeping pace with Real Madrid in terms of the players they're bringing in. So do you think we're going to see maybe Real Madrid just walking to the next three La Liga titles, Atletico maybe even pinching that second place for a few seasons? I I don't think so. I think it's it's tighter than than it may look. I think they've kind of both got a similar um, situation coming up, but Barcelona are just a little bit worse off in that situation. Like they're adapting to you know life without that insane front three, and then a disastrous manager who come in and and ruined everything by signing all the Dutch players and <laughs> thinking that was the key to the key to success, like Luke De Jong and and Trent, Memphis Depay and people like that. And it hasn't really worked. So, but Real Madrid have got that coming up as well. The the midfield three is, you know, combined age of about ninety ninety eight or something like that with Cruz, Modric, and Casemiro. They're all old. They all need replacing. You could argue they've already got the replacements, but they still need to settle in, and get to that um, get to that level of yeah. what Modric, Cruz, and Casemiro have achieved because it's a ridiculously high level. It's arguably the best midfield midfield three of all time. Mm. So. Like Camavinga's yeah, like Camavinga's, 19. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's class as well, but like stepping into the void of Casemiro, Modric or Cruz is just, you know, it's a big question basically. So what I'm saying is, you know, Barcelona could catch up um, catch up um, Real Madrid with, you know, the likes of Busquets retiring soon probably and then Gavi and Pedri coming in and, you know, the, the Frankie de Jong's still there and he might, oh he might kick on, he might leave, I don't know, but there's still enough there to, to get Barcelona back to to where they were um, but I can't I can't see them signing Rafinha because if you look at their front three already they've got Ansu Fati who they've got massively high hopes so I'll give them the number 10 shirt and everything Javi um, yeah, yeah Gavi's there and then there's Ferran Torres who, who was the big signing and Aubameyang's still got life in him with the fact that he's um, he's motivated and he fancies it so there's plenty of options there I don't think they need Rafinha and I think if they do wanted, if they did want another winger and they get the finances sorted out, they could go and sign anyone in the world. Mm. And with respect to Rafinha, I don't think he's the best out there. I think he's quality, but like Barcelona level is is something else when you you're being trusted with that right wing berth, who was once uh, you know occupied by little Argentinian fella who scored a fair few goals. Liverpool also apparently in the mix for Rafinha, as we discussed earlier. They're looking to rejuvenate their front line. Finally, let's talk about Newcastle United, who give me sports, who have a mixed bag of success when talking about transfers. Apparently, they're reporting that they're after Atletico Madrid's Renan Lodi. Is that how you say it? Say it? Uh, I think so. Renan. Okay. Renan Lodi. Renan Lodi yeah. Anyway, he's a left back. Is that a player that Newcastle United need? Is that a problem position for them in this window? Yeah, we need we need a left back. Um because Matt Target was on loan. Um so I was I'm quite happy for it to be Matt Target, to be fair. I don't think he's done anything wrong. Um but it's it's this thing now. It's like with with Newcastle, it's like there are players that you know will work. Like we know Matt Target will work. He's had six months, he was very, very good. Um, better than a lot of VAR fans thought he was, to be fair. Mm. Um, but Renan Lodi is is the sexy name you can go and get. He's the Brazilian left back. Um, you know, he's 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 one of them like um, statement transfers almost. And there's also the fact that he knows Kieran Trippier already, so he's got that in his ear. 
and he's saying probably been texting Trippier all week saying you know w- will I like it yeah of course Trippier's blowing his blowing his phone up with nice things to say and all the rest of it so I think it's it's it is quite likely because this this has been rumbling on for I think we were after him in January as well but you, it's hard to get players out of a a season where um, they were still chasing for the title even though they were never really that close to it um, and he he probably does fancy the move as well so. I think he. Um, it looks like it's going to happen, but I, I do feel bad for Matt Target because you can't really do anything more than what he did, and it does seem to be Renan Lodi or Matt Target rather than rather than both. But in terms of signing, it, it seems decent. It seems like a good signing, um, and it fills a problem position. And he, we get a nice attacking left back who's in the uh, in the national team set up every now and again, and uh, and sort of takes us forward as a club. Are you satisfied with the way Newcastle are going about their business at the moment? I mean, we're two weeks yes. into the window. You're not getting jittery. You don't want Messi already at <laughs> James's. No, not quite, no. I think, the, the, to be fair, the players we're getting linked with are ones that we've scouted for a while. We're not, like, do you remember like when QPR came up and do you remember when um, Chelsea first got the money? Everything was like, oh, him, yeah, shiny new object, bang, we'll have him. There does seem to be a lot more... Um, uh, research going into the stuff, into the moves as well, and Dan Ashworth coming in from from Brighton as a sort of director of football style role, or chief, or whatever I don't know what his exact job title is, but he's basically the man in charge of overseeing the the transfers and stuff. It does seem like we've got our our ducks in order type of thing. We've we've walked away from deals in in the past six months, even when there was no one overseeing it specifically. We've walked away from deals when. People have been too greedy. Like um, Diego Carlos wanted a staggering amount of money a week. Villa walked in and paid it. We'll see how that one turns out um, in in the sort of coming months. But I think we've we've done pretty well so far. We've, we don't seem to be having our pants pulled down at every opportunity, which it, it's easy to do when everyone sees you coming. Mm. Um, and it's it's um, it looks pretty good so far. I don't think we've filled with the transfer yet. So you know, there's uh, there's a little bit. Bits and bobs rumbling on. Hugo Ekitike is meant to be coming in as well from Ream. Don't really know much about him to be fair, but he's he's one for the sort of future. I think he's only nineteen. Newcastle um, have always had striker, their fingers so. in the French market, haven't they? Yeah, and we've done pretty well over the years as well. Um, Kabai, Ben Arthur. I think uh, there's a fair few to be fair. Um, I mean, a couple of flops: Sylvain Marvo and Mapu Yanga and Biwa were not exactly <laughs> Yanga and Biwa. I remember him. weren't exactly brilliant, but you know. You can get players for fairly cheap, and they've got a huge sell-on value because, you know, if it goes well, you 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 quids in really. So, fair play to uh, for us for having our finger on the market because Ekitike is in there and might end up getting him as well. So, see how that works out. Being run like a proper football club, amazing stuff. Bizarre. Huh? One more to mention very quickly: Daily Express reporting that the Declan Rice to Chelsea transfer is back on because he's been promised the shirt number he wants, which is number 41. 41. So apparently, apparently that's going to change the deal and turn it around, and Declan Rice is going to go to Chelsea now because he gets oh, the why shirt. Why would that not be available? Does someone else wear 41 at Chelsea or something? No. One of the, <laughs> one of the 200 loanees they've got. It's bonkers, though, isn't it, that that would make a difference to a footballer? I, I mean, I, I, I get it does if it's number 10. Or I remember like Joe Cole telling a story about that, because when he signed for Chelsea, Joe Cole signed at the same time, on the same day, as Juan Sebastian Veron. Mm. They signed him from Manchester United and obviously Joe Cole joined and when Joe Cole arrived at the club he was promised the number 8 shirt or the number 10 shirt or something he, he ended up with the number 10 shirt right because they gave it 
they had originally given it to Juan Sebastian Veron. And then Joe Cole's dad was his agent at the time and he went in and said, listen, Joe ain't going to sign for Chelsea unless you give him the number he wants. Um, which I thought was quite funny, really, because Joe Cole was That's like, ballsy. dad, I'm not bothered, I'm not bothered. But yeah. his dad went in there all guns blazing saying, no, he's going to have to wear this. <laughs> and I just think that that sort of thing, it, it's superstition, surely. It's ego and status, I think. Yeah, I just well don't see that. how that can be. I mean, yeah. I remember speaking on The Dugout about this before. Um there's a, an episode of the dugout from the start of the season, actually. Um, th- I'll try and see if I can find the clip. But uh, yeah, I remember talking to the lads about shirt numbers and whether they mean anything. And Trevor Stephen was saying that, yeah, it did mean something to him, but he was playing in the day where the team sheet was the team sheet and you had 11 shirts yeah. and yeah. that and numbers, was it. Number seven was the right winger's number shirt. Number seven so was the right winger's shirt. One, yeah. yeah. So um, I don't know. I think it's odd, don't you think? I Just, think it well, is when you like there's an option between the amount of money you can have in your bank account or having some numbers on the back of your, le- your shirt. It, it seems like a strange thing to um, sway a deal. I don't know whether players get a slice of uh, shirt sale um, revenue. I'm mm. not sure whether they do or not. But Well, it costs an extra six quid to get two numbers on the back of your uh, shirt. My yeah. point, exactly. My point, exactly. 41's worth more at the club shop. Well, the reason why Rice wears number 41, and this is a quote, it was just the number I was given in the academy by the kit man. Now he's superstitious to change it. Yeah, it's weird. Well, Trent Alexander wears sixty-six, doesn't he? Yeah, that's his shirt number. Well, John Terry, do you remember? Do you know the reason why John Terry wore twenty-six for Chelsea? No, it's because when he came into the team, Gianfranco Zola wore twenty-five, and he wanted to sit next to him in the in the changing room. Oh, that's quite a nice story. That's yeah, it's probably one of the nicer John Terry stories. I'm dodgy then, but I stopped myself just in time, so (laughs) I will leave it there. And that is it for today's football social daily. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back on Wednesday with another episode in which we'll look back over England's game against Germany and keep you up to date with everything else in the Premier League as well. See you soon. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.